If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. Not exactly how the Colts scripted it. The Colts are now 1-2-1 after four games, and for the second year in a row, the Colts only have one win through four games. They fell to the Titans on Sunday. They remain winless in the division through three tries, and now it's on to Denver. Thursday night football, no time to rest, no time to sulk. The Colts will kick it off in about 48 hours from this taping in week number five, trying to right the ship and get their season back on the right track. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Colts official podcast today, brought to you by WinBet. I'm Matt Taylor. J.J. Stangovitz and Casey Vallier will join today as well. J.J.'s here now. Casey will pop in in just a bit. But, J.J., the Colts are looking for answers. I don't know if we have them, but we'll talk about it anyways. First off, how you doing after uh, Sunday's game against Tennessee? I'm okay. You know, it's I'm looking at our itinerary for Denver. And I'm looking at that arrival time back in Indianapolis someday, sometime Friday morning. What did it say? I didn't even look at it. I don't even want to tell you in the wee hours Let of the get, morning. Let me get, can I guess? Yeah, guess. Uh, 4.30. Close. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I am not looking forward to <laughs> I'm suspense the, I'm here. going to get suspense. back. I'm going to probably walk in my door at about 5 a.m. and then have to take my kids to daycare Ooh. at about 7.30 a.m. All right. I just, you know what? I might not even sleep. I can't sleep on airplanes. I can't either. I'm terrible at it. I just the either. thought of sleeping in an mm-hmm. environment where there are like hundreds of other people mm-hmm. in an enclosed space just like gives me the willies. Can't do it. So, are you afraid that somebody's going to come tickle you or write something of, on your forehead yeah, or something? Yeah, both. All of the above. The you know the, wa- the warm water challenge, uh. like any of that. <laughs> Which I don't think any what of is our this, kindergarten. Yeah, I don't think any uh, you know of our fellow coworkers here with the Indianapolis Colts. Well, now would you've do given that, us an idea here. I just can't. Yeah, please don't do that. Um, but yeah, the, the I just think I might pull an all nighter Thursday. Just don't even go to sleep. Going to come in, you know. Do our uh, instant game reaction pod with Bill Brooks Friday morning. Yep, yep. And uh, about 12 o'clock, I'll probably fall asleep at my desk, and then someone will have to wake me up at 5. Yep. And then I'll go home. Yeah, you'll you'll have a long weekend though to recover. That is the benefit of a of a you know short week on a Thursday. It's sort of like that mini buy on the back end. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, you know, you'll you'll be sleepwalking on Friday and Saturday, but hopefully the Colts are not sleepwalking through this game on Thursday night. So you were in the locker room yesterday. I didn't have the chance to go back there. We were taping some stuff for Colts Roundtable Live during locker room availability on Monday. To steal a line from you that you like to use, which I like, uh, the temperature of this team. What is it right now after that disappointing effort to start the game against Tennessee, the disappointing out- outcome, I should say, against the Titans? Where is this team going into a a pivotal game and they're right back to wherever you want to call it, a crossroads or a turning point? The the season could go one way or another here, uh, one of two ways, heading into week five. Where is this Colts team in the locker room here? Yeah, I think the leadership on this team, Matt, is very strong when it comes to keeping everyone on track. And they know that there are issues that need to be fixed. They know that there are certain parts of this team in fact, most of this team that needs to play better. That is all acknowledged. That is all, you know, uh, accountability is taken. I thought Naheem Hines after the game on Sunday 
was very strong in taking accountability for the offensive struggles that the Colts have had. But this team is also not flinching at this because they've been here before. I, you know, I was talking to Zaire Franklin after the game, and he told me, like, it's been grim before. It's grim now, but, like, we've got out of it. And he, he said, you know, I hate to go keep going back to the past in 2018 where you know, the Colts got off to that 1-5 and five start, and then they, they rebounded out of that one nine of their last ten games, made the playoffs, won a playoff game. But I understand the other side of this that's outside of this building of the fan frustration that is, is, is fed up with these slow starts to the season and wants to see the Colts play better right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. This year, the worry, Matt, is that because the Colts have not played you know, winning football consistently on all three phases right out of the gate, you're at 1-2-1 and one right now, and you're at 0-2-1 against the AFC South. The best you can do is go 3-2-1 and one against your own division. That presents a challenge in winning your own division. Mm-hmm. The Colts, I believe it was 2006, won the division with a 3-3 three and three record against the AFC South. So it's not like it's impossible to win a division with three wins in your own division. But yeah, the Col- degree— Colts won a Super Bowl that year, right? right they, they sure did. Yeah. Um, the degree of difficulty, though, is higher. And it's sort of like with the slow starts the Colts have in these games, where th- this team has done a pretty good job when the margin of error is zero of not making another error, especially on defense against the Titans. That was such an impressive performance in the second half. That is now the path that the Colts are going to be on to go win the AFC South. The margin for error has now decreased significantly. I don't think it's zero, but it's getting there. Mm, and yeah, yeah. You know, after oh, yeah. this after this Week 5 game, you've got back-to-back games against the AFC South. Yep. you got the Jaguars at home in Week 6. you got the Titans on the road in Week 7. Those are games where your margin for error really is low because if you do not win both of those games, all of a sudden you're looking at a below 500 record in the AFC South. Right. Yeah, those we always talk about hyperbole, must-win game, or does the math say? No, those are must-win games for this team. And I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, uh, but let's transition into three and out, right? These are the top three storylines that popped up after the game against the Titans. This is what we do to kind of lead off the podcast on a weekly basis here during the season. So you talked about it, the slow starts. You're down 24-3 to in the second quarter. The Colts have been outscored 65-23 in the first half this season, 27-10 to in the first quarter. And it's been all AFC South games. They've been outscored 64-16 to in the first half of their last four games against the division, even when you go back to Week 18 last year against the Jaguars. And, J.J., for me, that's been the most disappointing part uh, to this season, considering all offseason you heard about the urgency and we're going to have motivation and we're disappointed with the way that last season ended. We're motivated by missing the playoffs, losing the last two games of the season in 2021. That to me is the most disappointing part of all of this. You wouldn't know it by the starts of these games that this team had a chip on their shoulder all off season. They're right back to where they started in terms of getting off to slow starts for the majority of you know last year in the first month of the season. Yeah, I mean, the Colts in the first half – of games this season have turned the ball over as many times as they scored five times each they've had five possessions that have ended in a turnover three possessions ending in a field goal two possessions ending in a touchdown that is that's not sustainable yeah that and they th- this team obviously knows that they they are working on fixing it but you can't you can't win consistently in the nfl when you're turning the ball over like that and that then leads to short fields you know tennessee only had one scoring drive that yeah. went more than 35 yards 
40, I think 45 yards, excuse me. Yeah. Same thing with Kansas City we the week part, before. Right. Their yeah. two touchdowns came on, what, a 35-yard yep. field and a 21-yard yeah. field. So the Colts' defense is doing a pretty good job when, when they are making the opponent drive the length of the field yeah. of not giving up touchdowns. That's good, but the Colts have to continue to put their defense in better positions by not turning the ball over, and when you don't turn the ball over, then as an offense, obviously it gives you more opportunities to score. Where those issues come from, you know, uh, I'm interested to hear from Matt Ryan today on Tuesday. We're going to talk to him in the Colts locker room in about an hour and a half. You know, how is he working on ball security? How is he working on, um, you know, because some of those some of those plays, I get it with, his, you know, his explanation has been, you know, when you're trying to, you know, get the ball out and you're starting to rip that throw yeah. and, you know, your hand kind of comes out away from your body, that's when if a defender is close, they can knock it out. That is all true. That is all fair. The Colts need to find a solution for that, though, because you cannot have Matt Ryan putting the ball on the ground as much as he has had this year, as many times as he's done, and then expect to get out to fast starts, expect to put your defense in the right position, and expect to put points on the board. So, um, you know, that's not to say that the defense is totally absolved here. The defense has not created a whole lot of takeaways this year. That's something that they acknowledge and right. need to work on and get better at. But, again, in, in today's NFL – so many defenses are, are trying to force opponents to play. You have long drives, 10-play, 12-play drives, where are you going to get bored? Are you going to make a mistake? Yeah, penalty, the, kill you. Penalty, right. The Colts are doing a good job of that. They just need to be put in more positions to actually have those long drives yeah. on defense. Well, the turnovers, those are absolute killers, and that's you know three and out number two, if you will, and you talked about it. The Colts minus six in the turnover margin after leading the NFL in, in turnover margin last year for the season at plus 14. Matt Ryan's got nine fumbles, and the, the Colts have finished top ten in takeaways every year under Frank Reich, but J.J., it's really hard to get takeaways when you don't have the lead, and the Colts haven't played with the lead very often this season because in the first half they're getting off the slow starts. And as you said, the offense is putting the defense in bad positions by turning the ball over themselves. Yeah, I mean, the the takeaways part of this, the you know, that side of the, the turnover margin equation is interesting because, you know, it is a new defense. It is a new defensive scheme, and you have played the majority of the season without Shaquille Leonard. So, you know, I think uh, uh, some of those takeaways over the last couple of years, you know, you had guys who knew that the Matt Eberflew system inside yeah. and out. And, and to your point, right, 33 takeaways last year, yeah. 15 of those came from Leonard somehow, some Leonard. way. Right. And, you know, takeaways year to year are often not a stable statistic. The Colts were remarkable right. in the sense that they did finish in the top 10 in takeaways every year. Uh, you know, the Matt Eberflew is here. They can get there with this Gus Bradley defense. Absolutely. They got the guys to do it. Um, you got to get Shaquille Leonard back on the field. He is not going to play this week. He has a concussion. He has a nose injury. He still, uh, you know, is listed on the injury report with the back as well. Um, I would have to imagine if he didn't have the concussion in the nose, you might, you know, the back, he would be listed as full. Yeah. Um, but he's not going to play this week. So now you're going into, you know, he's played about a half, uh, in the first five games for no fault of his own. And, you know, that does have an impact when you're looking at a guy, like you said, Matt, who had a hand in 15 takeaways last year. He was the first player in NFL history to have eight forced fumbles and four interceptions in a single season. You don't have that remarkable presence in the middle of your defense anymore. You've got to rely on, you know, an interception, a tipped pass, a, a strip sack. But the, the, the other part of this equation is that those usually come when you're leading, when the opposing right. offense has to take more right. chances. And the Colts have not been leading no doubt. by 
a significant margin in any of their games yeah. this year. In the second half, teams are up big, and they've changed right. their offensive scheme, and they're playing not to lose, and they're playing conservative, and they're taking care of the ball. They're punting it back to the Colts, which I think has allowed the Colts to get back in some of these games, primarily Houston and Tennessee. Uh, but you're exactly right. Those I, I would like to do a study on the takeaway totals for some of the elite teams in that category mm-hmm. on when they come – Ahead versus when they're down on the I mean, scoreboard. Get, get this, Matt. Ryan Tannehill's depth of target against the Colts on Sunday was 4.7 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Yeah. You're not getting interceptions. No. Because he's he's getting the ball out quick, and he's throwing it short of the sticks on safe completions. That's what he's doing. His yeah. average time to throw in this game, uh, it was 2.93 seconds. There was somewhere he kind of scrambled, but it's not like he was like chucking it downfield yeah. and taking shots where you could have Rodney Thomas or Rodney McLeod ranging over to make a play on the ball it was all safe completions he was 17 to 21 for 137 yards I mean that you you don't get takeaways when that's the opposing quarterback stat line and that can be the opposing quarterback stat line to go win a game and and you allowed that to happen by getting down big on the scoreboard which again goes back to complimentary football the offense putting the defense into a lot of bad situations there all right, number three on three and out injuries. You talked about Shaquille Leonard. He's not going to play. He's in the concussion protocol, but the Colts have already ruled him out. The same is true for Tyquan Lewis, which uh, adds you know some question on the depth of the defensive line. Dio Dengbo, by the way, has come on real yeah. strong the last couple of games, so that is good news there. DeForest Buckner still banged up a little bit, so the loss of Tyquan, that's big, especially on a short week here. So um, that's the equation on defense. On offense, it's Jonathan Taylor who mm-hmm. left the game on Sunday with that ankle injury. We'll find out later on today, maybe tomorrow, on the official designation going into Thursday's game on questionable or probable or whatever that is surrounding Taylor. But whenever you're talking about the best player on offense and the leading rusher from 2021 by a wide margin uh, landing on the injury report with an offense, J.J., that is struggling to score – putting up only about 14 points per game. This is a big deal. So what do we know about Taylor right now? And then if he doesn't play, where do the Colts turn to in the running game? So on Tuesday morning, Jonathan Taylor did not – He so, okay, let me run this back because this is, <laughs> this is complicated. This is Thursday night football, what you get with this. So the Colts held a walkthrough on Monday. They will hold a walkthrough on Tuesday. The injury reports that come out are an estimation of what that player's participation would have been had the Colts actually practiced. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor did not participate on Monday. So that that is with the ankle that uh, he suffered against the Titans when he fumbled that ball uh, in the fourth quarter. You know, when we talked to JT after the game on Sunday, he sounded somewhat optimistic but also said, you know, it's been like an hour since the game ended. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I think a lot, you know, especially when you get like an ankle sprain, a lot of it is like, okay, how does it feel the next day? How sore is it? How how stiff is it? How does that all come out? So we'll get another practice report here on Tuesday. Final game designations are due on Wednesday. So that is when we will learn if Jonathan Taylor is out, doubtful, questionable, or is not listed, which means he will play. 90 minutes before kickoff. In Denver is when the Colts have to have inactives due. So right now we know Shaquille Leonard and Tyquan Lewis will be inactive. We'll see if Julian Blackman is also on that list with the ankle injury that he sustained back against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, He did not practice on Monday as well. And then we'll see if Jonathan Taylor is also on that list. Yeah. Um, So it's going to be it's going to come pretty fast here this week. As for where the Colts turn in the run game, 
you know, I, I think this, this is really interesting because preseason, I think the thought was that'd just be Philip Lindsay, you know, with with the way that he was used in as training the insurance pack, as the insurance guy. Yeah. The, the Colts released Lindsay uh, in final roster cups, kept G, kept Dion Jackson on the roster, and. You know, I remember something that Rick Venturi said on an episode of Inside Football with Rick Venturi here on the Colts Audio Network, and he said that Deion Jackson, from a scheme standpoint, is more of a natural fit to replace Jonathan Taylor than a Philip Lindsay, just because of the size. That Deion Jackson, from a size perspective, is more is closer to what JT is than Philip Lindsay. However, Philip Lindsay has had a couple thousand yard seasons, both with the Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. who the Colts are going to play on Thursday. Yeah. So. Some interesting things, you know, maybe Lindsey gets promoted uh, to the active roster from the practice squad. Maybe you see a little bit more of Deion Jackson. Maybe you see more of Naheem Hines in the run game. We have not seen a whole lot of that this year. But that's all if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play. If Jonathan Taylor plays, the Colts are going to try to lean on him again and hope that he can be more efficient than the 20 carries for 42 yards he had in week four. Yeah, injury report is always a storyline going into Thursday night football in a short week for both teams. You know, the Broncos are really banged up too. Randy Gregory, uh, who played high school football here in Indianapolis at Hamlin and Southeastern, he's not going to play. Javante Williams, their star running back, is not going to play. He's out for the year uh, with a torn ACL. That's J.J. Stangovitz. I'm Matt Taylor. That is the three and out after the loss to the Titans as the Colts sit 1-2-1 and one going into Thursday night in week number five in Denver. All right, we're going to bring in Casey Vallier. Yeah, J.J., you and Casey are going to break out some truth or trash, yeah? You guys are going to break it down here on what's real and what's not going into Thursday night. I am all in all right. on breaking down truth and trash. All right, take it away. Casey and J.J. have you for some TNT. All right, first truth or trash here with Casey Vallier. Do the following statements have merit or are they... Bleep. Bleep. (laughs) Thank you for not writing the actual word in there, Matt, in the rundown, because I'm like Ron Burgundy. I'll just read whatever's on the teleprompter. Put an exclamation (laughs) point in the prompter. Yeah. All right, Casey. The Colts and Jonathan Taylor have become a victim of their own running game success. Is that truth or is that trash? So this one's tough for me because if you look at both words, truth and trash, they kind of, if you were to combine them, they would be the same. If that makes sense, like you can't put truth and tr- they can. So I'm right in the middle. They both start things. with TR, right? Yes, they both. So, so it didn't matter <laughs> if you try to, you know, put the uh an an or ash, it's still going to sound the same. So I'm going to go right in the middle on this one. I think they have, but it's a it's a give and take. Like they've established themselves as a running team. You know, that's what they're going to be. But I don't think that's a detriment to them. So I think it's, they just kind of fall right in the middle. Like, you know what they are, and they're just struggling to go out and execute that as of right now. So I think. Yeah, I know that's a that's a awful way to no, start no, 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 no. this I think segment. I think that's totally fair. But that's kind of where it is. Like in that sense, they are a victim, but it's also part of the reason that they want to be. They want to be a part of that victim because that's what they want to be as a running team, which will open up everything else. So the numbers on this would tell you that this statement is trash. The Colts this year, Jonathan Taylor has averaged about five carries per game with eight or more defenders in the box. That is down from the nine runs a game he averaged with eight or more defenders in the box in 2021. In 2021, JT averaged 4.4 yards per attempt against loaded boxes. This year, he is averaging three yards attempt per attempt against loaded boxes. But I think beyond the numbers, if you you think about the mentality that teams are coming into playing the Colts with, Casey, it is, hey, we're stopping the run. Right. And 
if if that means we can stop the run with six or seven in the box, either a light box or a standard box, we're going to do it. That is the number one goal. It doesn't matter how many defenders we're going to throw down there. We've got to find a way to stop the run. And, you know, lately the teams have said, well, we might not need eight defenders to stop the run, but it's a mentality that they're bringing in. And by the way, if you start putting eight guys in the box, Matt Ryan has shown he can sling it around a little right. bit. He's had two two 350-plus yard games this year. He did not have any in 2021. So the passing offense, you're starting to see some good things, some good signs from that. Got to get the run game going. But if teams start overcommitting, continue to overcommit to the run, Matt Ryan has shown, hey, I can throw it around a little bit still. And one of the things, too, I, I mean, maybe – you know, it's always glass half full, whatever you want to look at. But but we've all seen what Jonathan Taylor can do. So I feel like this struggle that you're in right now, at some point, I think he's going to break through. And it's all going to – we're going to look back here on week four talking about this prior to the week five game and go, wow, remember when they were struggling to run the football? Here's where they are now. That's kind of the way that I view this. Here's the other thing that people forget. Jonathan Taylor threw five games last year. He was averaging 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, you know, not bad. Not terrible, um, but not what we remember right. Jonathan Taylor being last year. Jonathan Taylor, through four games this year, is averaging four yards a carry. So it's down, but it's not like it's so significantly down from where it was at the early point of last season. The Colts really leaned in to some certain concepts that they were able to figure out in the run game last year as the season went on. The last thing on this, though, is the Colts have had to change some things in the run game because you don't have Jack Doyle, and and Frank Reich said it on Monday – Jack was one of the best, if not the best, run-blocking right. tight end in the NFL. He is no longer on this team. That leads you to need to go with some different concepts in the run game. And as you figure out what you're good at and what you're not good at in the first quarter of the season, then you can start leaning into what you are good at and figuring that out and kind of going from there. So I'm not ready to bury this run game. I am not ready to to say that they're a victim of their own run success. Let's give it a little bit more time right, agreed. right now. All right, number two, the AFC South is forgiving, but the most division wins the Colts can rack up this season is three. That's not enough to pull out the division championship. Truth or trash? Trash. I think that, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, you look in the past, and, you know, I think it's it's one of those things that every team that's won the AFC South during its entirety of the history has won it with four-plus wins. I just don't know if necessarily that's going to be the case this year because I think we've seen an, an increase in the play in Jacksonville, so therefore I don't think – the other teams are going to have, you know, your your run there. Houston, they may be down, but I still think that the Titans and the Jags are so up and down. Like, I think there's there's so much to be said that they may have a, a stretch where they win a couple games and then they lose a couple games. I think the Colts kind of fall into that similar stretch right now. So I think when it's all said and done, I think the Colts still, I mean, you look at the division, it's still wide open. So I look at it from that aspect that there's still a lot of football to be played if you just start – just execute. We've all, we've talked about that for four weeks. If this team executes, we we have yet to come off of a game and said that they played well for sixty minutes. We've seen a couple good quarters, a couple good halves here and there, but they haven't put a full product together. So I think once they start executing, you start winning a little bit more games, you really start to see how the division shakes out. I don't necessarily think that they don't have enough to say they can win the division. Yeah, it, I mean the Colts are what a half game out right in the division. It, that just shows it's just so early in the season exactly. right now. The, look, the Jacksonville Jaguars look like a good team. The Tennessee Titans look like a good team. The Colts have not got to that level yet, but we're four games in. Let's pump the brakes on this. The Col- But like I was talking about earlier with Matt, the margin for error is now lower. Oh, 100%. You, you know, those games in week six and seven, those are going to be 
you know, potentially season-defining games. All right, let's go to number three. The Colts need to stick with Will Fries at right guard the rest of the season. Truth or trash? Ah, that's a, that's a hard one because I don't. You, for the rest of the season, I don't know. We've seen such a small sample size. I mean, this was his first career start last week, and Danny Pinter had three career starts heading into Week Four. So, when you look at it from that aspect, it's such a small number to really say. Oh, yeah, definitely, he showed me enough. For him to be the guy the rest of the season, I mean, we'll definitely get a good taste to see what start number two looks like for Will Fries here against the Broncos. So maybe after that I can reassess and kind of say, okay, judging the three games we saw out of Danny and the two we saw out of Will, maybe you'll be able to have a better one. But I don't know if I can really make that assessment right now. Yeah, you know, what Frank Reich said after the game on Sunday was that it was a really tough decision to make that switch. Um, and that it doesn't necessarily mean that the Colts are looking at Will Fries at right guard for the rest of the season. But, um, you know, he earned the opportunity through right. how he practiced, and we'll, we'll kind of see where it goes going forward here uh, starting Thursday night against the Denver Broncos. I'll probably say trash to that one just because of the rest of the season right. that's in it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just, again, we'll see where things go. All right, last one. Thursday's game is a must-win game for the Colts given the start to their season, truth or trash uh, I know I know I'm not a big must win guy because it really you know when it comes down to the stretch that's when the must win comes in but this is definitely one you want to have I think yeah from a lot of I mean you're coming off a tough loss to a divisional opponent which you're you're frustrated you're mad you're all of that and if you can get a victory on Thursday not necessarily it, it wipes it away but it gives you a good taste and you also get that mini buy that a lot of so Getting a victory heading into a weekend where you can rest and re- and kind of gear up for that rematch against Jacksonville. You've already got that bad taste in your mouth. So having extra momentum heading into that game is so key. So I wouldn't necessarily say truth that it is a must win, but it is a very important one to have and definitely one that you want to win for sure on Thursday. Yeah, you know, I think the, the must win part of that is the only must wins, truthfully, are like – wins that would clinch you a playoff 100 or knock you out of the playoffs the Colts last year had a must-win game against the Jacksonville Jaguars yep. to end the season that was a true must-win game but in week five there's probably not really a technically must-win game because the Colts could still they could lose this game and they could still win the division right. I know it might not feel like that to you know folks on the outside or but that is the case the thing that I always look at and I, I know that this is probably not the way that typically it happens, but sports are a game of runs and momentum. I've always thought that. The Colts right now have what? Two losses, correct? Last I looked. They're one, two, and one. Two losses. So let's say they win, th- they lose Thursday. That's three losses. They still have a chance to rack up, what is that, 12 victories? Yeah. I mean, like 12 two, victories get you in, correct? It, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's where I like must win week five. That's why it does not because they still have a chance to accumulate. Now, now the the chances of them rattling off winning the rest, of, that's probably far-fetched or hard to look at. But the possibility is there. So that's why must win. I don't I don't really put it on this game. For yeah. Sure. I mean, I think the and the the closest must win games, the closest to must win games you're going to get are again in week six and seven right agree where those are against division opponents they're your last chance to play teams in the AFC South until week 18 against the Houston Texans at home so those are about again about as close as you can get especially when those are the two teams right now 
in the Jaguars and Titans that look like they're going to be competing at the top of right. the AFC South. You want to get in that conversation as well. All right. Matt, you coming back in? I'm in. I'm in. I like what you guys said. It's teetering on the border of must win. Right. But week six, seven, yeah, all caps, must win. Got Jacksonville and Tennessee coming in here. And as you said, no AFC South games in the back half of the season. All right, let's go to the uh, Twitter mailbag. JJ, what do you got dialed up here as far as that's concerned? All right, this is from Samantha Scout at Sammy Scout 7 on Twitter. We've had slow starts before. Why does this year feel worse? Hmm. I'll, I'll take a crack at it. I mm. think it's because throughout training camp, there were a lot of signs that it wouldn't be this way. There are a lot of things to believe it wouldn't be this way. The first being, yeah. all right, you know, we changed the practice schedule. We got it at noon. We got it closer to kickoff for these 1 p.m. games. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone's body clocks and circadian rhythms are going to be closer to, you know, being at peak performance at kickoff. Right. We have not seen that yet. We have not really seen peak performance at kickoff from this team. The other part of it, that I'm still trying to wrap my head around is that, you know, the offensive line did practice together pretty much all through training camp yeah. um, until the last that was, week of camp. That was different than last year. Uh, very different than last year when you had Mark Lewinsky as the only uh, regular participant in practice on that offensive line. So I thought because of those factors, you know, the O-line could start, you know, with with the, the kind of communication that they need with the new quarterback yeah. and everyone's sort of at that, you know, peak performance level that this team could get off to a, a fast start. And I understand why fans are, you know, this question that Samantha asked is being asked because yeah, what, you know, it feels like it should be better than this based on what the Colts did in training camp. And the Colts had a good training camp. Yeah. It's not like you, you know, we showed up to grand park every day and we we're like, Man, it was another bad practice. Or this guy's hurt. Yeah, yes, or like that, that guy's, guy's hurt, this it, guy's hurt. It, you, you, had, you had the entire team there. I mean, there were yeah. very minimal injuries, and that's, yeah, you're right. I think you chronicled it very well. Another thing for me, and it, it goes back to what I said earlier, is like you know, when, when guys came back for the start of the off-season workout program, for lack of a better term, I think you, you, you saw guys more dialed in and more focused and more business-oriented. They, they took, not that they don't take – the off-season workout program seriously every year, I think they were treating that period of time as if it was the start of the regular season in terms of intensity and focus and all of those things. And that makes the start of the season a little bit more perplexing than 2018 or 2021. Another thing, who was it, Samantha? Mm -hmm. Another thing to your point, Samantha, is that you know, last year, not that you would ever again make excuses for getting off to a one and four start or one win through your first four games like this year and last year, but last year the schedule was really, really difficult. It was. Yeah. You know, you played Seattle and then you played the Rams, then the Titans, and you didn't have Carson Wentz in that game. Then you came back and played the Dolphins, who flirted with the, the playoffs the, the season before. This year, I think we would all agree that the most advantageous part of the schedule was the first month yeah and mm -hmm. they haven't been able to take advantage of that so that that's why I think this feels different is because the Colts have been dominated at times by teams in their division to start the year they've trailed by as many as 17 points or at least 17 points in all of their three games against the AFC South so far so to me that's why it feels different, and that's why it needs a drastic turnaround ASAP coming up on Thursday. No, completely agree. And that, and, and part of it, too, it, you heard all offseason how the Colts were 
all the other teams in the division were inferior. That's kind of maybe that's part of it too. You heard that narrative. That or if was you just looked at the Colts just, roster right, and how they stacked at, up against the other Looked at how it looked teams. on paper. The other mm-hmm. teams looked inferior. So the fact that, yeah, like point. you said, Matt, you trailed to seventeen to all three of those at one point in the game. That is kind of where that taste. It's like really, what what is going on? So that that's part of it too. I think. Well, I don't know how you transition out of that because that's a good. Well, I can't good, wait for the transition out of this <laughs> no, because th- this this random thought of the week. Very I have random. spent a lot of time. Oh, have you? <laughs> once again, for like the, I mean, all the time, Matt. I do this. I put the most research into the random thought of the week. So let's go. Well, I'm glad because I put no research into it because it just popped into my brain and then I typed it out. So that's the extent of it here. So my random thought of the week as we close out. This is kind of fun. Hopefully, it's. Uh, a better you know, spiritual uplift than the conversation we just had on the Twitter mailbag, although that was a good question. Um, my random thought is, hey, we play on you know Thursday night in Denver. That's also known, Casey, as the Mile High City or in old school, the, the Sunshine State. Um, which American city uh, has the best nickname? American city that has the best nickname. So, so research boy, take it over. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> turn it over there, to you. There are, there are a lot, but I just want to – I just want to start in Indiana. Okay. Um, because if you go to Wikipedia, you can find a list of city <laughs> nicknames. Now, a lot of these are just not true. Like, they, no one calls them this. Like, for Indianapolis. Well, how do you know? Let's see. Uh, okay. Well, actually, Indianapolis isn't, doesn't have terrible ones. But, like, listed on here for Evansville, Indiana. These are the nicknames for Evansville. Crescent City, Pocket City, River City, Stoplight yeah. City, Heavensville, and Evans Vegas. So someone went <laughs> to Wikipedia Vegas. and added Evans Well, they Vegas do have a casino down there. Are, oh, I've there got go. family in Evansville, and I, I have heard all of those. But so I mean, I like, think they're, okay. they're mostly like, accurate. You know, people call Nashville Nash Vegas. Like, we're just yeah. adding Vegas to everything. That's dumb. Uh, let's, let's stop, let's stop do doing like that. that. Uh, Martinsville, Indiana is the goldfish capital of the world. Oh, I thought they were the artesians because they had wells down there. Well, it's also the city of mineral water. Okay. But yeah. they're also the goldfish okay. capital of the world. That's probably why. Mishawaka, Indiana is the peppermint capital. <laughs> Capital of the world. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what does it know, say for Elkhart? Elkhart, Indiana. They, they have like a bunch of RVs up uh, there. <laughs> well, they have a bunch I mean, of RV, right. the RV capital of the world. RV capital of the world. Is that really what it is? No kidding. <laughs> well done, Every man. Every time I've driven through Elkhart on the way to South Bend, it's just like, it is. it looks like a Notre Dame tailgate. <laughs> I swear to God. That was pretty good. I mean, J.J. scrolling, he's like, wait a minute. He's on to something. Wait, he's right. right. Other other Indiana cities, if I can guess what their nicknames right. are. Uh, uh, give me give me a city and I'll guess. Uh, how about Logansport? Oh, boy. Uh, they're the Berries, right? The high school nickname is the Berries? They're the City of Bridges and City of Churches. Okay. 0 for 1. Uh, you're 0 for 1. 0 for 1. Uh, let's go My down. My Indiana history is pretty good, though. Let's go down to South Bend, Indiana. Do you want to guess what the number one nickname on South Bend, Indiana is? Mm, nah, I'm blanking there. Lotion City. A lot of Bed Bath & Beyonds up there in South Bend. <laughs> uh, how about Terre Haute? Terre Haute is, uh, let's see, the sick of, maybe something to do with sycamores trees. or trees. Nope. I was going to go Sica- Pocket Ter- City. Terre Haute's really good. Queen City of the Wabash. Okay. That is a great City nickname. Yeah, okay. put that on a sign as you walk into town. I like War- it. Warsaw, Indiana. Warsaw, no clue. No, no the clue. orthopedic capital of the world because <laughs> the, the man, the man who invented the prosthetic leg is from Warsaw. Really? Wow. Yeah, Warsaw. Legitimately, Hell yeah. You, you ever, I did so not know I've, that. So if you ever go to Warsaw, Indiana, there are a bunch of. There's a, there's a huge hospital there, and it's one of the best places to get orthopedics done. You know, that's in funny. The world. You're right. There is a huge hospital. That's I went to school in Manchester, and there's not much to do in Manchester. You kind of got to go about 30 miles either 
east, west, north, south to do anything. And Warsaw was an area we used to go because they had a Ponderosa. So we used to. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's hey. not much to do in Manchester. Right. Is the biggest understatement in the history of this podcast. <laughs> no, there's nothing to do in Manchester. So, so yeah, I Ain't knew all about Warsaw. Truth right. or trash, right. that is truth. One more, one more that I just want to get out. It's not Indiana, and this is not real. But on Wikipedia, this is literally listed for Branson, Missouri, and it's one of my favorite Simpsons references of all time. The nickname is Las Vegas if Ned Flanders ran it. <laughs> Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Heidi ho, neighbors. Welcome to Branson. That's awesome. Wow. Oh, wait. Oh, Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne's the uh, the Summit City, right? Summit City. The, yep. The arena up there is called the Summit. Uh, also, the magnet wire capital of the world. There you go. <laughs> wow. What is magnet wire? I don't know. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Also, Fort Wayne, also known as City of Churches. There are a couple cities of churches in Indiana. Yeah. We're very religious people well, here in the Midwest. I mean, some, someone's got to be the... You know, you, you can't have two of them in the same state. Uh, also, Jeffersonville, nickname is just Jeff. The Jeff. The Jeff. Heading down to the Jeff All off right. of 65. If anyone lives in these cities, and I'm sure we have listeners who do live in these of course, cities, of please course. let us know if these are accurate or not. Like, if you live if you live in Martinsville, Indiana, please tell me if it's actually called the goldfish capital of the world. I, I need to know this. Well, next time you drive down to Bloomington, you stop off. There's a nice little... There's a little restaurant there off of 40, I don't know what the road is, but it's called Come and Get It. And okay. it, it is that place is exactly what you think it would be. Have That's... you guys ever seen um, my cousin Vinny? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. When, when he walks into the, uh, the the diner there and they have three choices, breakfast, lunch, dinner. <laughs> yep. Like that's Come and Get It in Martinsville. <laughs> so next time I'm at Come and Get It, which lovely people, and I got breakfast and it was great. It was delicious. So I'll ask them about the goldfish reference also, right there. You know, when I moved here, uh, I live in Carmel, moved to Carmel. I was like, why does everyone hate Carmel? Carmel's nickname is the roundabout capital of the world. Yeah, that's true. why everyone that's hates true. Carmel. And it is true. Yeah. It I is mean, true. it is. I love roundabouts. They're great. I never sit at stoplights. It's perfect. See, I'm from Noblesville, and we were called Noble Tucky. That was like a, Noble yeah. Tucky? That was why not like Noble Vegas? Nah, Noble Tucky. I don't know. Noble Tucky was very common. See, like, I was thinking, you know, bigger <laughs> cities when, when I saw this. So, like, I thought of Indianapolis and, like, Naptown. I think that's a great nickname, just because, I don't know, it sounds kind of cool. Love Circle it. City? Um, Circle City is a good one. But I'm I'm a huge Las Vegas fan, so, like, Sin City, it just made me think of just a cool city. So that's where I went. I like that J.J. went, you know, more in the Indiana Indiana yeah. suburbs. but Well, yeah, we like spent this. entirely too much time on that, <laughs> as we typically do on the Random Thought of the Week, but that's what it's for. Whatever pops in my brain, we discuss and we flush out. Gentlemen, great job as always. Appreciate the time on the official Colts podcast. We got to go. It's a short week. We got a lot of prep to do uh, before the game on Thursday night. We're going to have Know Your Foe dropping tomorrow on Wednesday, and then we'll have Inside Football with Rick Venturi. That'll be out after the game, either on Friday or Saturday with a recap podcast podcast instead of the preview uh, blueprint podcast that uh, gets you ready to go for the upcoming game. So JJ is back with Bill Brooks on Friday with instant reaction from the game in Denver. That'll be in your podcast feed probably on Friday morning and based on the, the sleep that you get, JJ, maybe a little bit Friday late morning, early afternoon, but it'll be up there. Well, this, it'll be up we, there. As, as we discussed, it's going to be no sleep. No sleep. You know the, the Beastie Boys song, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. I'm just going to be in here like no sleep till bah, bah. week six. Bah, bah, there you bah, go. Bah. Colts instant reaction. <laughs> <laughs> Take us out. All right, JJ, Casey, have a great game day on Thursday. Casey, we will talk to you back here. JJ, we will see you in the radio booth at uh, Mile High Stadium or whatever they're calling it out there. We'll 
We'll figure in it out. Power field at mile. We'll, we'll figure it out before Thursday, I promise. We got a lot to do. A lot of boxes to check off here in the next 48 hours. I'm Matt Taylor. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you next Tuesday on the official Colts podcast. Colts need a win. Talk to you soon. Have a great weekend.